Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. All right, are you there in Daniel 6? Somebody say yes. All right, let me give you some background, okay? Because we're going to kind of jump into the middle uh, of, of, a, uh, of an issue. We're going to parachute in the middle of a situation here, okay? This is, this is obviously the story of Daniel, Daniel's life. But Daniel, at this point, has been carried off to, to, to the Babylonian Empire. Now, you have to understand, the Babylonian Empire is the ruling known empire of the world. They are the high of society. In other words, what America is today to the world, this is what Babylon is to the rest of the world. And so when Daniel comes in, he is several times he is given the opportunity to defile himself with eating food that's been offered to pagans. And then he says, no, let me fast and show you how strong my God is. He'll make my body strong. That's where we get the Daniel fast. He has given opportunity after trap, after, uh, uh, after temptation to cut off his relationship with the Lord, uh, to paganism. But he, he's incredibly honoring towards the Lord, his covenant with God. And not only this, Daniel is gifted like all of us, right? And listen, he, he's not just a dreamer. He can interpret dreams. And what I appreciate is I get to be around talented, gifted people all the time. But what really stands out to me is when talented and, and gifted people have some class. When they can operate in their talent and gift and they don't have to show off about it or they don't have to prove everything or they don't have to be the best or have to be significant in a room. They don't mind other people taking the lead. Right. And, and I appreciate that about Daniel because Daniel had, had an attitude about him where he wasn't trying to be the best. He was just trying to be faithful. Are you following me? Come on, talk back. Are you following me? And so he has this gift, this to interpret dreams, and he operates in this gift in honor and class. And so it obviously gives him opportunity to go to the top levels of government. Well, then the king is about to make a decision that's going to affect the way the government is run. And it's right here in Daniel chapter 6. Look at verse 1 with me. And we're going to take a couple of detours just so you can understand the context of what I feel like is on God's heart this morning. Look at verse 1. It says, it pleased King Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Now, satraps actually means rulers, so I'm going to say it like that. It pleased King Darius to set over 120 rulers over the kingdom, to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three, uh, over these three governors, of whom Daniel is one of them, to be over the 120. So there's 120 rulers, and then the king chose three men to be over these 120 rulers, that he might give an account to them so the king would suffer no loss. Verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself. Everybody say that with me. Distinguished himself. Say it one more time. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors, the rulers, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now look up at me for a second. You have to ask, how did Daniel distinguish himself? Well, you'll find this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 10. It says, In all matters of wisdom and justice, Daniel and his friends were found to be ten times greater than every magistrate, advisor, and every counsel that the king had. Can you imagine this for just a second? All of these men that the king has surrounded himself, you have to understand the Babylonian Empire, their education level was the best. So all of these men and women went to the best schools, and they were born in the right families. They, had, they were Kennedys of their day, if you might. All right? And they, not only that, but they made the right career choices, and they made the right deals, and the right contracts. And so they pushed their influence all the way to the top. They were the best of the best, the brightest of the brightest, the strongest of the strongest. Those who were impacted and experienced, this is them. This is the top. This is the best Babylon has to offer are those that are around the king. But then Daniel... 
a slave boy shows up and he's 10 times greater than all of them and he doesn't have the education and he doesn't have the family background and he doesn't come from the money and he probably didn't even have the smarts to it. But Daniel was able to distinguish himself simply because the Bible says it was an excellent spirit, but it was really the spirit of God that was on the inside of Daniel that set him apart from everybody else. Now keep watching this with me. Watch this. Well, let me say this. this. Let me just liken this for just a second. This is like you go, you, you being an, a, an attorney, or let's just back this up. Let me take it to another stretch. Let's just like you showing up to court, and there's an attorney that's prosecuting you, and they are from Harvard Law, an Ivy League school, a school that presidents come from, and you are the other side at the other table defending the other side of the case, and you are able to win, and you have no degree, and you have no family name. And you have no influence. And nobody's asking for your interviews. You're not on Fox News and CNN. You're not on any of those. Yet you're found to be ten times greater. This person, this Harvard attorney, has spent all the money. They have given their life. They have tracked their record. And all you did was pray. That's exactly what Daniel's doing here. Now look at this. Look at verse 6. It says, So these governors and rulers petitioned before the king and said to him, King Darius, or let me back up. I skipped verse 4. So the governors and rulers sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. In other words, he wasn't trying to be something he wasn't. Verse 5. Then these men said, we, not, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Look up at me for a second again. They say, this is basically what they're saying. The only thing we can find wrong with Daniel is that he loves God too much. That's really what they're saying is if that's if you could be guilty for something, be guilty of that. Right. Look at verse six. So the governors and rulers sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Come on. Jealousy is an ugly thing, isn't it? But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Look at verse six. Then these governors and rulers petitioned before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the rulers, the counselors, advisors, we've consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius, sign the written decree. Let's pray for just a moment, and then we'll just unpack what God has for us. Father, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word come out of my mouth, but what is necessary for edification, that it would impart grace to those that hear God. I thank you that you're raising up people out of nowhere. And Father, many, many people will say about our lives in this room, you came out of nowhere, but nobody comes out of nowhere. We come from somebody. We come from somewhere. We came from something. And all, all, all of it's great and not all of it's bad. But Lord, I'm asking that you would begin to craft people in this room to be influencers in every area of their life, from their families to their jobs to the schools to the communities and throughout the life of Overflow Church. I'm asking that you would raise up faithful men and 
women, God. Ones who are warriors and in the same moment can be compassionate and in the same moment can carry authority and in the same moment can have wise counsel. Lord, I'm asking that you would bring faithful laborers back into the church again. That you would bring men and women who, who, who know how to take over and know how to take control and know how to uh, release, God, and know how to develop, Lord. I thank you. Lord, I speak to this atmosphere right now and I say that you are full of hope. And you are full of faith. And you are full of peace. And you are full of power. God, I thank you that you're establishing a fresh hunger again. Lord, to not just have great things and do great things, but to know the great one. Lord, I'm asking that you would establish our heart as faithful once again in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. I'm calling this message, distinguish yourself. Distinguish yourself. Now, this is interesting because I, uh, I remember um, when my wife and I, we were missionaries in Sri Lanka in 2006. It was the longest six months of our life. In fact, that was really like our, one of our very first true full-time ministry assignments. And we thought when we moved there, we were just going to die there. We thought we were just going to buy uh, a home and buy our graves uh, next, and we were just going to give our lives to this nation. And we ended up only staying six months, but they'll get, don't get it twisted, or it's the longest six months of our life, all right, because it was the middle of a civil war, and I can remember mortar shells blowing up down the road, I, I can remember uh, uh, guns going off and being, uh, I can remember suicide bombers uh, bombing the hotels that we would leave, and I, I remember all kinds of things happening. Uh, that just, I mean, just the danger was there. Not only that, but there was religious chaos and you had extreme Buddhists and, 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 and radical Muslims who were walking into churches and were beating the pastor and taking them out and chopping them in little pieces and delivering them back to the families and burning down the churches and sometimes burning down the churches with the people inside. And there was, there was, it was great persecution. It was heavy, heavy, heavy persecution in Sri Lanka back then. And, and I'm, telling you, I'm telling you this to set up a scene. So knowing that the danger is all there, my wife comes to me and says, you know what? I think we should start having kids. I'm like, baby, baby, listen, listen, listen. Uh, they're trying to kill us, and you want to make more of us. Like, I don't know how this is going to work. Like, I can barely take care of us. And, she, and she, she said, no, I think we need to pray about it. I feel like the Lord's telling us to have kids. So I did what any man of God would do. I said, I'll pray about it. Which, you know, in, if you've been in the church long enough, that just means the Christian no, right? So if you ever come up to a leader in this church or a leader in a church or maybe Pastor Josh, you're like, man, if we could do this, man, I'll pray about that. What he just told you was no, I'm helping you out, okay? Now, if somebody comes to you and you say, man, it would be awesome if we could just do this, and they say, well, bless your heart, I'll pray about it. What they're really saying is that's stupid and no, all right? So I told my wife, she said, let's start having kids. I said, bless your heart. No, I'm kidding. I said, I'll pray about it. I said, I'll pray about it. So I did what any person would do. I didn't pray about it. Come on, how many of you have ever said that? Let me be honest. All the honest people raise their hand. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'll pray about it. You didn't pray once about it. So I get in, listen, I get in for two weeks. I go into this other room that we had in our home, and, and uh, I would kneel at the little bed in there, and I would pray. And, and every time I would start to pray, God would bring up the subject of my kids. I pray, and he's like, we need to talk about your kids. I'm like, no, let's talk about revival. Let's talk about we're just going to spread this thing, a burning flame all over the, the nation. And, and so, it, it, of course, that desire would go away. I'd start praying to that. Then he'd bring up the next day, hey, let's talk about your kids. And I'm talking, no, let's talk about church structure and how we're going to plant churches and release prophets and apostles and all that. I was Jesus juking Jesus, all right? I had no idea how I did that, but I did it, right? And so I, every time he would bring it up for 14 days, he'd bring it up on the 14th day. I stepped one foot into this room, and I heard the Lord yell at me in my spirit. 
He yelled this in me. He said, I need your son on the earth now. And I was, you ain't got to yell at me like that. Like, <laughs> you could have just said that. You don't have to yell at me. And I remember he repeated it with the same amount of intensity. I need your son on the earth now. And I, listen, I, I was shaken. I just knew there was no question. So I believe in quick obedience. Some are a little slower and have some didn't have as much coffee this morning. I do. I believe in quick obedience. And when we came back, Erica was already pregnant with our first, our son, Elisha, who's nine today. I believe that when you were born, all of heaven was rejoicing, not because of your parents having a dream or having a child. But I believe the same cry came out when you were born. I'm grateful that he is on the earth now. She is finally on the earth now. Their family is starting now. They're on the earth now. I'm telling you that if we're going to see a mass takeover of the Holy Spirit, which people have said, let's just forget that dream because we're not seeing it. I will die. I will go to my grave for that dream to see America awaken once again, to see lives transformed. I'm talking about lives that you never thought in your family to win, did you, come on, that's the hardest ground, is it not? To win to your family. I'm talking about, they're all saying, they're in the earth now. They're, listen, God has positioned and God has given and God has maintained. He has strategized to put you in your rightful place. Can you imagine Daniel thinking, why am I in Babylon? Why am I an advisor? Why can't we have Israel? Because God's plan is not always according to ours, right? And so we have to understand, he is developing us. My question to you is, have you distinguished yourself? Do you even know how to distinguish yourself? God needs you on the earth now. He needs you in your city now. It's not a mistake. Come on, some of us, if we would choose our family, we'd choose the wrong family. There's only one, there's only one type of family you get to choose, and that's your husband or your wife. That's it. Right? So choose wisely. <laughs> the truth is, is that God needs you on the earth now. He does, listen, he doesn't need you later. Your time is not next. You're not next. Your time is not later. Your time is not when you're ready. Your time is not when you're old enough or you have enough money. Your time is now. And I think a lot of times we're addicted to this thing called ready. God, I want to feel ready. God, I want to be financially ready. God, I want to have the right education. I want to have the right calendar. I want to have the right schedule. You will never be ready. Ever. L- listen, let's just prove it right here. All right. How many are ready to get married? Exactly, right there. I'm not talking about all the single folk. All the single folk are like, send me my Boaz and send me my roots. And listen, if you want Boaz, then you better be a Ruth, all right? Or you ain't going to get one, right? So let me, let me help you. Let me help you out. You weren't ready to be married. Erica, I wasn't ready for that beautiful woman back there. She wasn't ready for all this good stuff right here. We weren't ready, all right? All right. Some of you are like, well, maybe. We had premarital counseling. Eric and I did nine months of premarital counseling. We still weren't ready. All right. That, how many are ready to have kids? Yeah, that's the truth. I got everybody right there, right? Why is that? Half the time, you don't know if you're helping them out or messing them up. You're going to find out on Oprah. It's just the way it, it, you'll never be ready. Listen, there is not a right time ready. You will never have enough money. Like the, as if the Bible is full of people that had a plan. It's not. Some of you are like, well, okay. The plan of God. Let me back up here. All right. Hey, Noah. Go build a boat where there's no water. Hey, David, go kill a giant with no armor. Hey, Moses, hit the rock and water's going to come out. Right? Are you following me? Hey, Peter, just walk, ac- walk down the street. Your shadow will heal people. 
Hey, Paul, you're going to get shipwrecked, but don't worry about it. Things are going to be okay. The Bible is not full of people that had a plan. It's full of people that were faithful, that had an excellent spirit, that knew the true meaning of distinguishing themselves. And listen, if we're going to distinguish ourselves, the first thing you need to understand is this. You're called to be ten times greater. Ten times greater in every area of your life. Ten times greater in your marriages. Ten times greater in your relationships. Ten times greater. I remember feeling this one moment. I w- it was actually in Sri Lanka. I don't know why I have all Sri Lanka memories this morning. It was actually in Sri Lanka. I remember uh, Eric and I had taken a day off, and we went to this famous elephant orphanage. And this elephant orphanage was, was really well known because of an elephant uh, that had three legs. It was a three-legged elephant. I know this sounds like a bad joke, but, but it really is. <laughs> it, there was a three-legged. What happened, because of the Civil War, there were landmines all over the place. This elephant had stepped on a landmine and blew off one of its legs. So the rescuers had gotten to the elephant in time to save its life but not save its leg. So people from around the world have come to study this one elephant. I mean, it's it, on National Geographic, Discovery Channel, all this, kind of, all this publicity all over the place. So we wanted to go see this three-legged elephant. Now, this was in the day when they had disposable cameras. How many of you remember these? Come on. Y'all remember all the weddings where people would leave a pile of, uh, of disposable cameras on the, on the center table, and they were supposed to leave them at the wedding, but all the, all the ghetto folk would take them with you because God just blessed you with a free camera and 34 shots. Y'all remember that, right? It's the truth. Come on, all the hood people say amen. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There was one picture of the wedding and 33 other selfies of you uh, with something else, right? And I remember, you know, I remember the days of disposable cameras. So listen, when you go to another, how many have been out of the country before? Maybe on a missions trip or something? You remember that there is two types of rates, right? There is the local rate and then there is the foreigner rate, right? The local rate is like 50 cents. The foreigner rate is like $200,000, right? So we get there. And we have to pay for these tickets. And I'm all kinds of mad because I have to pay $400,000 for these tickets, right? And so I'm thinking if I'm paying $700,000 for these tickets, then I, I want to pet the elephant. I want to give it a haircut. I want to paint its name. I want to name the thing. I want it to bathe me. You know what I'm talking about? Like I was that mad. Because if I'm paying $1.2 million for this dumb elephant just to see it and $3 for a disposable camera, I'm going to name the elephant. So I'm getting there. And I, I remember the herd of elephant comes, and it starts coming down the road. And, and, and you remember having to work that camera. You remember you had after you take a picture, you have to cut open this thumb, right? Because the ridges were razor sharp. They didn't tell you that on the packaging, but you cut open this thumb. And then you had to get the flash going, and you waited for that high pitch on the camera, right? And so you had to hold that down for five seconds. So you're cutting this finger, you're breaking this one, and then you got to time it right because you only get one shot. And then in those days, you didn't know if you got a good shot until two weeks later, you remember to take the camera to get it processed, right? So you're sitting there and and I'm telling you, I am lighting it up on this camera. I'm like, I'm doing all this, right? Then the last elephant to come is this three-legged elephant and it comes running like this. I promise I'm not twerking. This is how the elephant was. All right, it came running like this, right? Just like this. And I, I remember I'm, 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 I'm taking as many pictures as possible. Well, why this, this is why people come to this orphanage. This is why they pay $2.5 million in tickets just to come to this uh, orphanage, right? And so they come to this, or, we're taking pictures, and people start to leave when this elephant comes by. I'm like, this is why we pay $3 million to come to this elephant. We might as well just stay here. Come on, let's take, I, I'm going to ride it. I don't care if it falls over. It better pick itself up. It's got a trunk. It had a fifth leg. We didn't know about it. So I'm sitting there, and I remember I'm looking at this elephant, and, and people are going, and, and they're leaving because this guy's saying, hey, do you all want to see a magic trick? Anybody want to see it? Come over here if you want to see a magic trick. I'm going to do some magic. Everybody come over here. I'm thinking, we paid $5 million to see this elephant. We, we, then he said, do you want to see a magic trick? 
And I'm thinking, man, I want I want to see a magic trick. Yeah, I want to see a magic trick. So I grabbed Erica, and we walked over there. He says, all right, everybody get in a big circle. Get in a big circle. Everybody in a circle. And he picks out this little kid. He said, okay, come here. I want you to pick a finger, any finger on my hand. And this kid goes, that one. And he goes, and boom, blisters popped out all over his finger. I'm thinking, hey, hey. Then all of a sudden, he says, now watch this. And boom, blisters pop out all over his hand. I'm thinking, hey. That ain't right. You need to get that looked at. That's wrong. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box, but that is not normal, right? And then he gives this doll to this woman. He says, do whatever you do to the doll, and it'll do it to me. So I watched her take his arm and twist it over three or four times. I watched his arm twist over three or four times without breaking. And I watched her do this, and I watched the back of his head touch the back of his heels and no injuries. I'm thinking, hey, you could just feel this presence, right? This is demonic, by the way. And so... So he, so then he says, now watch this. He takes this needle, this like 18 inch needle, and he starts to swallow it straight. Just like he's not angling. He starts to swallow this needle straight, just straight back like this. He starts to swallow it. And then he lifts up his shirt and the needle starts coming out of his shirt just like that. And I I mean, I wanted to go over there and go just to see if it, you know, so he starts swallowing this needle and I feel this taunting of the enemy. Can you do that? Are you as powerful as can your God do that? I know it's like uh, this must have would have been this must would have felt like when Moses was standing in front of Pharaoh. When the two Egyptian magicians threw their staffs down the snakes and they became snakes, too. Can your God do that? Is your God that powerful? Chris, can you do that? I remember thinking, man, I need to check into this. I don't. So I checked in with heaven. I'm like, Lord. Can we do that? Like, is that legal? Like, is there any foul there? Like, can we do that? And and this is what I said. I said, because that's powerful. This is the first time I've ever had it happen, but it's happened many times since. I said, Lord, that's powerful. And he started laughing at me. <laughs> he said, powerful. <laughs> I said, no, for real. Like, stop playing. Like, is, can we do that? And he's like, he, he's, he said, that's not powerful. I, I really feel like the Lord laughs at us sometimes. Uh, you know, Psalms chapter 2, he who sits in the heavens laughs, right? I, I feel like joy is a part of the kingdom. It is. It's one third of the kingdom, right? So I, I feel like many times my life is one big meme. <laughs> Anybody else? Like, I just, I feel like he laughs at us. I feel like when I said that, he probably went, I probably said, Lord, can we do that? That's powerful. <laughs> hey, Michael, Gabriel, come over here. Look at this. Chris, say it again. That's powerful. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel my life is. I said, Lord, that's powerful. He said, that's not powerful. I said, that's powerful. He said, that's not powerful. Because apparently you didn't see the needle thing. That was powerful. He said, son, that's not powerful. This is what he said. He said, all that man can do is impress the crowd, but he can't change the crowd. I think many times we are stuck with our life having sizzle and no substance. And the only reason is we're busy trying to impress everybody when what we already carry is impressive enough. We have distinguished ourselves alone by naming Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And then his job is to raise up fame in the earth through our life, glory and honor back to him in the earth. And he does that through our lives. If we would just let him have every part of our, not pieces of your life, not sections of your life, not departments of your life. God is not into part-time consecration. He's not into part-time devotion. He is into overtime faith. He is into overtime discipline. He is into overtime discipleship. And many times the only reason we're not distinguishing ourselves is because there are pieces of our life that are under his lordship. Have you noticed that when you got saved that there were things that fell off of you, right? And then there were some things that did not go away. Listen, you can be tempted. You can't be tempted by something you put under the blood, but you cannot be. You can be tempted by something you have not. It is time to distinguish ourselves. God is calling us to be 10 times greater. 
And listen, I'm not just talking about a great service, a great church. I'm talking about greater in the sense that can we be 10 times more patient? Because some of you are like, I'm patient. Really? Let's watch you in traffic. We'll find out how patient everybody is in this room, right? Because I know y'all got all kinds of demonic traffic around this area with all the, right? Are you 10 times more innovative at your job? 10 times more intuitive, 10 times more forgiving, 10 times more loving, 10 times more generous. You know, I have found that how is it that the world can raise millions of dollars for stuff that's not eternal, but the church, who has the greatest cause on the planet, seems to be broke all the time. <coughs> We're called to be 10 times greater. Are you with me? Come on, talk to me for a second. Are we 10 times greater than prognosis? Are we 10 times greater than prescriptions? Are we 10 times greater than horoscopes and therapy and diagnoses? Are we 10 times greater? Listen, this is what we're called to. We're called to be 10 times greater. We're not, listen, we are to be the tip of the spear where the world is borrowing ideas from us instead of us taking our cues from culture. This is what he's called us to do, to be 10 times greater. You think about it, some of these mothers and fathers in the faith and of revival. Catherine Coleman used to have Hollywood producers and directors show up at her meetings because she was so creative in the way she preached her messages that they had to steal ideas and ended up in movies that won tons of awards and it started at the church. Many of the people who have shaped culture of the culture and the industry of music started out where? In the church. From Elvis Presley and beyond to Mariah Carey to Beyonce, all of them started where? In the church. You look at what God is trying to do through this house. I'm telling you, you got nice floors. You got wood everywhere. I'm telling you, you got gray this and it's hot up in here. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Like, I mean, then it'll go away. It's, it's amazing up in here. Eric and I walk in. I'm like, if our house looked this good, forget our church. If our house looked as good as the church did. Come on, anybody else thought that at this point? I mean, you, the creativity that's running through here, it's 10 times greater. Listen, I, I have the privilege to be in different rooms with different people who have some influence. And I'm telling you, they don't have an ounce of what this church has. It's time to be 10 times greater. Here's the second thing. Let me, let me give this to you. If we're going to distinguish ourselves, you need to be 10 times greater. Here's the second thing. You need to guard your source. You always have to guard your source. Here's Daniel. Several times he's told to defile himself to paganism because it's culturally acceptable to do that because he's no longer in Israel. He's in Babylon. Now the job is they have figured out he's not going to budge. He's not going to compromise in this area of his life. He is going to stay committed to his God. So the only way to take him out is to make it illegal to love God. So uh, uh, Daniel, knowing this, watch this, no, Daniel, knowing this, their attempt is now, instead of trying to get him to be like one of us, let's just cut off his communication with, with his God. Because if we can do that, if we can cut off his communication, then we can get his anointing. And he won't be any better than any of us. Daniel knows this too. So you have to learn that the enemy is going to come after your source. He's not going to come after your talents and your gifts. He would like to pervert your talents and gifts if he can get your source. He will come after your source every single time. It doesn't matter. Every time he comes after your source. That reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, the enemy has no new tactics. You do realize that. He has nothing new to offer. It's just different scenarios and different people in different places, but it's the same thing. It's division. It's pain. It's sin. It's all. Of it. It's just the same thing. That's why Paul told us in, in his Corinthian letters, he said, do not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. But then he points out one area in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse, uh, verse chapter, or chapter 10, verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, right? They're not human man made. In other words, what, you may be going to therapy, but there's really only one person that can bring total healing. Therapy's good. I'm not taking that away from you. But you have to consider your source. 
right? He says, he, he says, for the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now watch this, casting down every imagination. Notice that word imagination. Say that with me. Casting down every imagination. And bringing that into obedience, into the captivity and the obedience of Christ. Now watch this for a second. When he says you are casting down every imagination, it says that these imaginations try to exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. Now, this word imagination in some translations says arguments. I believe that's the New King James Version says arguments. But in this translation, I like the word imaginations because it gives us a better picture of what the enemy's plan is. That word imaginations, let me drop some Greek and Hebrew on you. Let me drop some Bible knowledge, all right? That word in the Greek is the word diatribo, all right? That's D-I-A-T-R-I-B-O, all right? Not that you're going to use that, but it's from where we get our English word diatribe. Now, watch this for a second. You may, may have never heard that word until this morning because the most times you'll hear that word is in a court classroom, or I'm sorry, in, 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 when you become an attorney or in a courtroom. Because when you use the word diatribe, this is what diatribe means. It means a forceful and bitter verbal attack against someone or something. Let me put you like this. When he says casting down imaginations, he's saying cast down every forceful and bitter verbal attack that will exalt itself above the knowledge of God. You know, the greatest battlefield you will ever have is in your mind. It's in your thoughts. That's why he told us to put on the mind of Christ. Why? Why is it? I like what Bill Johnson said one time. He said, you cannot afford to have a thought in your head that's not in his about you. We have to learn to cast down diatribes. If you are coming up against things, how, why is it that you get nervous right before your big moment? Why is it that every time in your life you start to make decisions that all of a sudden you get to the same point and you sabotage it or you mess it up? Friend, I'm telling you, you're in the spell of a diatribe because diatribes will intimidate you. They will try to get you to believe something that isn't real. Do you realize on this side of the cross, the only thing the enemy can do to you is lie to you? And the only power he gives is when you start believing that lie. Once you disarm the lie, once you stop believing it, you disarm him. You have to learn to get rid of the forceful and bitter verbal attacks against your marriage, against your children, against your finances, against your family, right? Against the community. I don't care who you're voting for. Let's go after some diatribes, right? I don't care who, listen, it doesn't matter who ends up in the White House. It really doesn't because there are issues in America that cannot be voted in and voted out. They are in the moral fabric of this country, and we need a great shaking again. We need great churches just like this. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. I just want to know, can you tear down some diatribes? I don't care if you're this or that. You're in this domination or that. You go to this kind of church. They sing this kind of music. You grew up in this kind of family. I don't care if you're black, white, polka dot, pinstripe. doesn't matter to me. All I care about is do you burn with a holy love for him? That's what I care about. Can you tear down some diatribes? Are you following me? That doesn't mean we don't give concern to any of this. What it means is I'm not going to fall for traps. There are things going on in our days today, money being raised for things that are just stupid. Absolutely dumb. I'm like, they give money to that? Like, I... Give me money. I can give it to some homeless people, and I can give it to this, and I can sow it into this student. And I give, give, give us the money. We'll do something that actually matter. Yeah. Things that will be remembered. Are you with me? It's time to get rid of diatribe. Let me just help you out in case you think you're under a diatribe. Let me just kind of give it to you. Because these forceful and bitter verbal attacks erase the knowledge of God. That's what it's, he said. Cast down every imagination that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Why was he saying that? He said, pull it down. The reason why is because if you're not careful, you're, you'll be a Christian and believe things that aren't Christian. And you're living under a diatribe. I can't tell you how many times I've messed with it. I, I, get, I get this all the time when, when I think about a list of diatribes. I get this, uh, 
This is how you know that you're living under a diatribe is when you feel intimidated and powerless. But I get that. Let me, let me just give it to you uh, for all the single folk. You need to be in a relationship. That's a diatribe. You don't need anything. You need him, and then he'll lead you to a relationship. Are you with me? When it, the Bible says do not be unevenly yoked, what it means is you have to have someone who can carry the same amount of weight. It's a farmer's turn where they would put this harness on top of two oxen. And if an oxen was bigger or stronger than the other, it would end up dragging the other person, which is what most marriages look like. <laughs> whenever, listen, whenever they end up in our office, it's interesting because they want me to do marriage counseling. What they really need is a resurrection. <laughs> because they're not spiritually ready. I'm here to tell you, if you're single, don't, don't fall under that pressure. You have to be in a relationship. That moment will come. I promise you it'll come. Enjoy your single life. All the married folks say amen. Enjoy it. Trust me. Enjoy it. It's great. Or I I hear this. I'm not educated enough. You know, I just, we got pregnant unexpectedly. We got, we we had this happen. We had this, and I just couldn't go to college. And I could, as if God needed your college degree. Now, let me, let me. Let me break some molds here for just a second. I'm all for education. I work for a Bible college, okay? I'm all for education. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for education. But I didn't graduate from Bible college until two years ago. The same one I work for, I graduated from two years ago. (laughs) Now, why am I telling you that? Because I have never been qualified for anything I've done. Anything. Not one thing. Not one thing has I, have I been able to have a resume. Listen, God's not looking at your resume. He's looking at your availability. He's looking at your disciplines. He's looking at your patterns. Listen, I was unqualified for everything I ever done in my life, but I knew how to pray. And I knew I heard the voice of God when he told me to do something. I did that, and it just blossomed, and it flourished, and I had a harvest for it. Many people say, well, I'm not from the right family. Nobody is. Not even Jesus. James, his brother, didn't believe he was the Messiah until after he was resurrected. Dang. Can you imagine that family drama? I mean, just imagine. Hey, James, why can't you be like your brother Jesus? It's Jesus. You know what I'm saying? You imagine that? I mean, you just, no, nobody comes from my family. I just don't have the time. Nobody ever has the time. The Bible says we're having to redeem the time. But let me tell you, many, somebody might live in a diatribe. Well, I've just missed my moment. You're telling me that God is too small to bring that moment right back around? He did that many times for people. They missed it. He brought it. Ask Moses. Ask Peter. Peter's, I'll die for you. Chops a guy's ear off. Right? Trying to prove it. Really, he was aiming for his head, but he missed. He hit his ear. You don't ever want to bring Peter to a fight. Okay? He's going to miss. All right? He chops this guy's ear off. And then, he, and then what happens? Uh, he denies Jesus three times, yet Jesus comes back for him because he knows there's a destiny inside of Peter that he will not let die. God is not in love with a future version of you. He's in love with the you right now. He wants all of who you are. Listen, when God gets you or has gotten you, he knows all that he's getting, all your weaknesses and all your strengths, all your fears and all your dreams, everything. It, he's in love with you. Don't live under a diatribe. Here's Daniel. I'm going to close this out. Well, I want to say this. You know what's interesting to me is a lot of people are like, prove this scripturally, as if 2 Corinthians 10 is not enough, right? But you'll find that the people who, who rose to great influence in the Bible, people who had an incredible amount of authority, always had to face certain diatribes. Elijah comes under a diatribe from Jezebel. Remember this? 
he destroys uh, all the Baal prophets and he says, far be it from me, then if I make you like one of these prophets the next, by this time tomorrow, what does he do? He runs. He comes under a diatribe. But he, I like King David. King David shows up on the battlefield. Do you remember this? He's bringing some cheese and crackers to his brothers and he overhears what Goliath has been doing for 40 days. Right? Your God is dead. He's not a living God. If you send out your best fighter, tell him to come fight me. And if he kills me, then the Philistines will serve Israel. But if I kill him, then Israel has to serve the Philistines. Well, everybody knows Goliath's a nine-foot giant. They're thinking, there's no way. I'm not going out there. There's no way. Even the king's like, man, somebody go out there and fight this guy. I don't have one brave man. David just comes off the field and just happens to bring in lunch and some snacks to everybody and some news. Hey, your mama misses you. Hey, call your mama. All right, she, she hadn't heard from you in a while. He's just doing all this kind of stuff, and then Goliath comes out. Your God's dead. He's not a living God. And David gets all fired up. What'd you say? Say it again. Say it again. Come on, give me a sword. Let's go. Say it again. I'm going to come over there and rip your head. Say it again. David, 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 come here. David, listen, you're new. You're new. And that's a giant over there, David. Did you hear what he said about God? Yeah, he'd been doing that for 40 days. How are we going to let him talk like that? Listen, David, listen, nobody's fighting that giant. That's why we're all just standing here. Ain't nobody fighting, nobody fighting the giant. David, even the king won't go out. He's even asked us to go out. He even offered for us to pay no taxes and to marry one of his daughters. Do you remember this? Read the story. 2 Corinthians 15, 16, or 2 Samuel 15, first, whatever. So he goes, said, listen. If you, if, so whoever kills a giant, you get, you get free taxes and, and you get to marry one of the king's daughters. David's like, wait, wait, say that again. Say that again, right? Read the story. He says it. Repeat that. Say it again. And they say, David, if you kill that giant over there, you get some money and a honey if you kill that giant right over there. <laughs> That's literally what he said, right? In the Christian version. So, so David goes. And kills this giant. Why is he able to separate Goliath's head from his shoulders? Because he wouldn't live under a diatribe. Because he was convinced of the truth of God. And the word of God. And the presence of God. And he had seen God be with him when he destroyed a lion and a bear. And he was going to make this giant just like one of them. That is somebody who lives above diatribes. And brings everything into the obedience of Christ. You have to learn to guard your source. Don't let it destroy you. Don't let those things discourage you. Don't let it take away your freedom, your peace. Don't let my mom's calling me. Don't let them. Don't let. I don't know pastor anymore. I'm like, mom, don't call me on Sunday morning. Go to church. <laughs> She's probably calling me after church. I, I believe that many times we disqualify ourselves before we even get to the battle. A lot of people ask Eric and I, how did you get to where you're at? We're like, we don't know. We just prayed. People ask me all the time, how did you get to Christ for the nations? I don't know. They were blind throughout that whole process. Like, I had like four interviews. I had to meet with Pastor JC and Pastor Adam, and then I had to meet with this person. Then I had to meet with the Jedi Council, and then I had to meet with all these other people. And I had to meet with everybody before anybody could make a decision. And all... I remember I'm sitting in Dr. Lindsay's office, and Dr. Lindsay took one look at me and said, you're the guy. You're the guy. You're supposed to be here. He looks at Eric Belcher, Dr. Belcher, when he was alive. Looked at Dr. Belcher. Dr. Belcher looked at me. You have no guile in you. You're good. Like, I don't even know what guile means. Like, I know now, but back then I was like, how do you spell that? I have never known what to say before I was supposed to say it. I just knew how to pray. But the truth, listen, God never said you'd be ready. He said you would be anointed and he would be with you. That's what he said. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of men. The things that God has planned for those that love him. Guard your source. Guard your relation with the Lord. 
guard those things. I like what Daniel does. After he hears the decree sign, I'm going to close with this. After he hears the decree sign, it's interesting. I like this. He goes back home. He opens all of his windows on the top. This dude's a G, all right? He opens all his windows and starts to pray loud, I'm sure. And he doesn't pray once. He's like, well, I'm going to go do it again. I think he was praying until they came and arrested him. I'm sure he would have done it seven times or 27 times, all right? He goes, and after three times, they come and arrest him. And they know that he now knows the penalty, right? The penalty is you get thrown in the den of lions. Now, do you guys remember the Bible series that came out uh, last year or the year before that? Do you guys remember that? And they showed different highlights of the Bible from, from uh, uh, Abraham to Samson. I didn't even know Samson was black. <laughs> we had these long dreadlocks. I'm like, that's cool. I'm, I'm good with that, right? You found out David was a big pervert. I'm like, I had no idea. I didn't read that in the scriptures. Anyways, so I... I, I <laughs> I remember, and I'm not knocking it because I'm grateful for it. It's, it's definitely stirred up a lot of conversation. But then you look at Daniel, right? And so they say Daniel's going to get thrown in the lion's den. And every time I see this, this acted out in Daniel, Daniel's scared to go in the lion's den. They're like pushing him towards the edge. Or they're opening the door and they're trying to shove him in there. And you hear these loud lion roars, right? And he's sitting there like, no, don't put me in there. Don't put me in. I don't believe that's how Daniel went in. Because this man is obviously committed. All right. He just saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand up to the king and went into a flame of furnace. And f- instead of three coming out, there was a fourth man in the fire that came out. Right? I mean, this is these people are jeez. All right, you the man. All right. So here's Daniel. I, I believe Daniel didn't go in scared. They're trying to push him in. I don't believe that's what happened with Daniel. I believe Daniel opened opened the door. He walked over the line. Get out, my. This is my spot. I'm gonna let y'all know in this house who run this now. All right, this is D from the block. Y'all don't know me. Get out. Shut your mouth. Stop roaring while I'm talking. Don't be waking up. I'm tired. Someone give me a sandwich. I'm telling you, Daniel was, I'm telling you, this is how Daniel went. I'm sure if they threw him in, he went like this. Daniel was ready to go. Why? They may have thrown him in a den of lions, but he brought a bigger lion in there with him. They may have told him that you're going to die, but he had a promise from God. He had covenant. And what will replace degrees and education and money every time is a secure relationship because Daniel knew what Moses knew in Exodus 33, 15. You can send me the promised land without you, Lord, but how will people know that I'm different if you don't come with me? He knew what David knew when David blew it with Bathsheba. He said in Psalms 51, verse 10, he said, "Uh, do not take your holy presence away from me. Why? Because what separates you is not your talents. It is not your gifts. It is not all the great things that are said about your life. What separates you is your devotion to him. That's the only thing that separates you. Guard your source. If you want to be ten times greater, if you want to stand up in the face of opposition, if you want to trample the heads of snakes and scorpions, if you, listen, if you want to take over your city and see God do something great in your family, don't believe the lie. Don't believe the press of the enemy. Stay, keep, keep that holy hustle strong. Let God use you in different ways and let him speak to you. Is this making sense to anybody this morning? And I'm getting stirred just preaching. I'm here to tell you, nobody up here, nobody in the seats has it perfect. I got drama and problems. I got issues. I might, my issues have issues. I have so many issues. I'm here to tell you, though, I just refuse to let go of my source. When I blow it and I make mistakes because I do that a lot, ask people, try, well, don't ask my staff how good I am, because they're paid to tell you how good I am. All right, go ask my wife and kids. They'll tell you. I'm here, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm preaching imperfect. I promise you I am. I have not mastered this, but I am convinced, and I am provoked, that we should guard our source. Would you stand up with me this morning?
I have found, and it's totally true, that God, hear me, I want you to carry this out. God will only give you what you jealously guard. That's all he is. So if you want more of his presence, how much will you jealously guard? God will only give you what you hold so precious and so dear. I jealously guard my wife or my children. Jealously guard them. To that measure, to that amount, that's what God will give you. And I think some of you, you lived intimidated and shy. Some of you, you let's, come on, let's be honest. If it was just you and me and you trusted me enough to know enough about your life, you've been proud way too long. It's time to humble yourself. You know, hum- humility always precedes breakthrough in every area. You look at humility, uh, Psalms, was it Psalms 105 verse 2? It says, uh, the humble shall receive a crown of victory. Before you can be crowned and before you can have victory, you need to be humble. Second, Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear for God only hears the prayers of the humble. You've been proud to, come on, step away from that. You're better than that. You got more into, you got more to offer than that. Don't live out of your dysfunction and your problems and your patterns. Don't live out of the brokenness of your life. Quit living in that pain. Who wants to take a bath in pain? Start living out of the hope that God will restore what was broken or he will heal what's been hurt. 